You're listening to Moving Forward with Dr. Lynn Swanner. Today's podcast is part of the Flourishing Leaders series, where we explore ways to transform your school community. This podcast is a production of the Association of Christian Schools International. Listen and learn more about flourishing at blog.acsi.org. Well, today I want to thank Rex Miller, who's a great friend to Christian educators and schools for joining us to talk today about the construct of resilience. And usually we talk about this construct in terms of students, which obviously is a very important focus. But for this podcast, we want to broaden that and talk about resilience for adults and the school community as a whole, which is definitely always, but particularly now an issue that many schools in all sectors are, are facing. But before we launch into that, just a little bit about Rex. Um, we'll share his bio in the show notes, but Rex uh, launched MindShift, faith-based research and coaching organization in 2013. He is the author for Humanizing the Education Machine, as well as Whole, What Teachers Need to Help Students Thrive. And he's also the facilitator for our Christian education MindShift. He's a widely recognized author and consultant, and he's spoken extensively with educators in all sectors, including Christian schools, about well-being, including keynoting at ACSI's Flourishing Schools Institute. So, Rex, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, Lynn, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Well, I'd love to start by having you share a bit about something you talk extensively about in the book, Whole. You also talk about it in some blogs and and also an upcoming book chapter, which I'll mention at the end on well-being in Christian schools, and that's the caregiver's dilemma. Can you share a little bit about that, how it applies to teachers and leaders in schools, and kind of set the stage for some of the unique challenges that our educators face? Yeah, and especially with the pandemic, it's really taking something that was chronic, was always there, contributing to burnout, and just turning it into an acute issue. It's a crisis. And there's lots of caregivers. You know, there's first responders, there's nurses, and we're reading what's happening to them. And it's really quite simple or straightforward. And that is, they care for others. They're wired that way. They're professionally trained that way. And the need is insatiable. And if the premise or the ethos is others come first, then logically it means I come last. And we saw that, or I saw it really play out, which just blew my mind because for years we've been chasing the engagement challenge. You know, schools have been working on teacher engagement, student engagement, and that needle hasn't moved in 20 years. I attended a leadership conference for educators. They gave them, now this is a high-tech company that's got lots of things that nobody on the planet has because they're a wealthy company. And they do a lot of wellness. So they have an in-house physician, an in-house wellness expert. They've got all this equipment. So they did a resilience test on these educators. They came back on the last day really contrite and said, we probably blew it. We've shown you all of the toys that we have, realizing these are things out of reach. And when we got the results of the resilience test, we felt like we missed the whole point. We didn't give you what you needed to survive. They said, three quarters of you, we don't know how you get out of bed. A quarter of you, we think you're going to pop at any point in time. So I'm sitting in, in the gallery listening to this and immediately I go, oh my gosh, that's fight or flight. And then I just started going through all the research we were doing 
and I called a colleague, mentor, great brother in faith, Bill, Bill Latham. I said, Bill, what if we were solving the wrong problem the whole time? What if it's not disengagement? Because when I heard these teachers expressed, when they shared and kind of burst the bubble of having to keep it in, you heard heartbreaking stories. You heard people struggling and it wasn't because they didn't care or were disengaged. And I came away thinking what a disservice we've been doing, trying to motivate people who are really fatigued on their last legs, wounded warriors, burnt out. And so that launched the research on what is it that we're really dealing with? And then the trickle effect on, on kids. And what we came away with is that it takes a healthy and happy teacher to create an engaged and a student who's willing to learn. But the opposite is true. If you're stressed out, and we did the science, we did the Heart Math Institute, and all of the nonverbal things, the social contagion that you feel, the threat effect, how we're tuned, our our autonomic nervous system, how it's so tuned to other people's dispositions, immediately sensing friend or foe, safe or not safe. And when a teacher comes in stressed out, the student interprets that is they're angry at me or they don't like me. And it's nonverbal. You can't pick it up. So it doesn't matter how much of a game face you put on going in, you can't hide what you're actually feeling inside. So it took me down the rabbit hole of Alice in Wonderland in terms of the research and the connections that the team, you know, we had 130 leaders. I was not the lead expert on this. I was just the storyteller. And it's really crucial. And then you take you take it into the faith-based world where the caregiver's dilemma is even more because mission, faith, obligation, duty, all these things, all the baggage that comes with that. And then in a lot of Christian schools, they don't have the resources that public schools have. So now you've got additional resources needed. So anyway, that was a long introduction into what this caregiver's dilemma is all about. Yeah. So Rex, you, you know, you, obviously you're very passionate, you know, you're very in tune with what's going on with our educators. And, um, you know, I think, you know, having, having read your books and your blogs and talked with you over the years, you know, you sort of diagnose the, the, the problem and the issue. Uh, and then you've also been sharing with schools and with educators, this, this idea, you know, we've all heard of, of post-traumatic stress disorder. And I think certainly right. most teachers and a lot of students and families would say, you know, if they hadn't experienced that before, there's there's post ongoing stress and there will be post-traumatic stress from what's happening with COVID. So I think a lot of folks have never heard of the concept that you write beautifully about and that you talk about, which is not post-traumatic stress disorder, but actually post-traumatic growth. And I think right. that's really hopeful. Can, can you share about that concept and what that looks like and what it entails? Yeah, part of it was my own journey back in 2000. I hit rock bottom. I mean, the dot-com crash just tanked the company I was with. I was demoted from VP of sales into commission sales, almost declared bankruptcy. I was 45 pounds heavier then than I am today, stressed out. And then I started hearing a little bit. So Dr. Martin Seligman and Mihai Csikszentmihalyi are the fathers of what we know as positive psychology. 
and that was birthed in 1999. So it wasn't far after that I began to find things like learned helplessness. That was part of his research. When you don't feel you can make a difference, you begin to cave into it. Part of that is is the trauma effect. 1995 is the first time researchers began to see people getting stronger after a traumatic event. It was the Kobe earthquake in Japan. Dr. Seligman then partnered with the, the military after 9-11 with soldiers coming back at record levels, 18 to 20% with post-traumatic stress. And the military saying, one, why? Two, is there anything we can do to help build resilience before going. In researching over 2 million soldiers, he found a small percentage did come back stronger and they had certain traits and attributes. We've added one because that research now is 10, 15 years old. What they found is number one, it was mindset conditioning. And so he called it positive emotions, but Based on the, the research that has come, we call it resilient mindset made up of three things. One is positive emotions, you know, growth mindset. Second is grit, Angela Duckworth's work. Third is gratitude. So much work has been done. Ahmed Sud, Mayo Clinic. So those are the three components and their daily disciplines and practices. I mean, if you just pick up uh, Brother Lawrence's book, Practicing the Presence. That is the practice every day of finding in small things ways to be thankful for whatever situation you're in. It's, it's a discipline and it's a habit. And if you're not doing it when the pressure's not on, you can't turn it on when the pressure comes. The next one is what you and I have worked on is the strengths. Activating your strengths on a daily basis. There's chemical reasons for doing that. When you activate your top core strengths, and the Clifton Strengths provides one assessment that gives you your top five, you're releasing dopamine. That's the pleasure hormone. When you're really getting into the flow state, that's endorphins. That's the endurance of the runner's high. If you've got some of the relational strengths, it's oxytocin and it's uh, serotonin, the, the affection and, and the safe, feeling emotionally safe. Those are rejuvenating. So you're activating those pieces. The third piece is the vital relationships. We call it your circle of five. Most people have one and a half people they could call at two in the morning if they needed it. You need five strong relationships that hold, not only are just there to be a shoulder, but also to hold you to your best to call you out. Now, the one of the ones we've added is the whole energy. And I don't know why that's missing, but I can't imagine resilience if you don't have energy. You know, that's everything. And you know, if you don't get a good night's sleep, how that affects everything else. Energy is a key component and it's three areas. It's sleep and recovery. And you know, I, that's my big if there's one habit I'm gonna make sure I do every day, it's getting a good night's sleep. The second is what we eat. And primarily it's cutting out the sugars, the processed flour, the processed oils, the processed foods, getting that out and eating more natural foods. And then the third is movement. Now, it's not necessarily exercise, but it is consistent movement throughout the day. 
it's it's more effective to take four or five times where you're doing five or six minutes of getting up, moving, going outside, doing that, than doing a 30 or 40 minute workout at the end of the day. Then meaning and purpose. So that's the Viktor Frankl part, the agency, logotherapy, and then marginal gains. Having tangible daily progress, feeling like you're moving along that chart. And that's Maslow's work on moving through progressively becoming a better version of yourself. So those are the six elements. For me, they're habits. I started working on them in 2000. It took me seven years to get back to ground zero in 2000. When that hit me, when the pandemic hit, it took me less than 60 days to be back on top, ready to go, mindset ready, pivoting, all of that. I wouldn't have been able to do that without the small habits consistently over time. Oh, that's great. So you've spent uh, a lot of time with Christian school educators. You've spent time in Christian schools. And so, you know, as we we close out our time together, what have you observed in terms of some of the opportunities and ways that educators and schools can can proactively look to develop resilience? Well, make it a topic, first of all, because when you learn together, make it a project-based, discovery-based learning experience for the teachers as well. One of the things we learned with the Momentus Institute, which is probably the leading organization for social and emotional literacy, is that teachers need to build the skill set. They can't just learn what to do with kids if they're not practicing it themselves because social emotional literacy is is a, it's an existential skill. It's it's a being skill. It's not a knowledge skill. Practicing social emotional literacy allows them to model and be that calm presence, to know how to handle the amygdala, to have kinds of conversations that allow you to be vulnerable and transparent, creating psychological safety, getting rid of the doggone accountability, testing, focus, and focusing on the leading indicators is, am I enjoying what I'm learning? Am I growing in the process? Am I getting better at it as I go? Yeah, it's really interesting because one of the things that we found in our research in the flourishing schools work is that and this is a correlation, but it's, we don't know the level of causality, but where teachers in schools where there was engaged learning happening, so really meaningful learning in the classroom, teacher turnover was significantly lower. I believe it. And I so that was, that was yeah. just an amazing finding of just that reciprocity between teacher learning and student learning and teacher well-being and student well-being, you know, these are connected. They're not disconnected. And think too, what's happening is they're experiencing the positive hormones, right? When they're connected, it's the serotonin and the oxytocin. But the reverse is true too. It's cortisol. <laughs> that's the stress. So that's, and I know some schools will geek out on just, you know, how do we trigger those positive hormones and things like that. But that's really what's going on. It's it's that basic in terms of our our physiology is it's the hormone engagement that we have. Yeah. So making it a plan, making it a discussion point, making it a thing that schools are addressing is key. So uh, Rex, thanks so much for joining me today and packing yeah, the construct. Lily. 
And but before I let you go, I know that you have some things that you're working on, and we always love to know sort of what's on the horizon. So if you could take a minute and just share what you're doing, what's coming out next, we'd love that. We took a workbook that we developed for corporations on mental health and turned it into a school version. So it's called Surviving the Storm. That should be coming out late March. And it is in book form, and it's got several stories and examples of going through what's happened in disruption, disrupted focus, disrupted communication. So we're looking at seven different elements of disruption, specifically for educators. The second book is called The Genius Spark. Now, this is built off of Sir Ken Robinson's famous talk about our schools killing creativity. We found the original research behind it. It was George Land's research with NASA in the 60s. So we found the connection between that research and the loss of our genius. 98% of us were considered geniuses before we hit five years of age, and it drops to 2% by 30. So the new process using the Clifton Strengths, using that research, using visualization in creating a picture of what you look like at your best, that comes out as well, along with a free app. So we're introducing that. And if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and you've got 90 minutes, we've got a ranch in Glen Rose, Texas, that we're creating into a leadership center. It'll be ready in April. Yeah, we're so excited to come and visit at some point. Maybe have a little mind shift reunion there would be great. And we will yes. put the link to your website in the in the show notes. And also uh, want to say thank you for contributing to a chapter in our Leading Insights monograph on mental health and well-being in Christian schools. That should be coming out later this spring. And uh, Rex will go into some more depth on some of the insights he shared today. So Rex, thank you again. It's always great to chat. Welcome, Lynn. Appreciate you. We'll see you in March. And for our listeners, thanks for joining us today as well. Please be sure to check the notes on this podcast for additional resources and references related to today's conversation. Podcast notes can always be found on the ACSI blog at blog.acsi.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to the blog again at blog.acsi.org, or you can also subscribe on iTunes. While you're there, rate or review the show and spread the word on social media. Thanks for all that you do to move Christian education forward. 